1: The following program is sponsored with Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Jesus
0: will say, Watch out, take heed, be alert. Prophecy isn't being given to be a sedative, it's been given to be a stimulant to holy living, living where we redeem the time. And if that's true of the end time generation that will see the signs unfold. Jesus is out the door. You need to stay alert.
1: The stage is being set for the climatic world events that Jesus warned us about, but there's no reason to panic. Instead, we are reminded to stay alert and keep informed. That's our subject today on Know the Truth with author, pastor, and Bible teacher, Philip DeCourcy. And be listening till the end when I'll tell you how to receive Philip's newly released book titled, Take Cover. It's a guide for finding your peace and security in Jesus Christ. Now, let's join Philip as he begins today's lesson in Mark chapter 13.
0: We're coming to look at the Olivet Discourse, which is the teaching of the Lord Jesus on the end times. We need to keep a prophetic perspective. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world. And what's going on in the world around us should cause us to look to the world above us. Jesus said these kind of things were going to happen. So let's come to Mark 13. We're going to speed through this. It's kind of a 33,000 feet view of this record of the Olivet Discourse. In describing the signs that will take place on the earth before the world witnesses the signs that will take place in the heavens prior to Jesus' return, Jesus employs an image. It's a dramatic one. It's a revealing one. It's one used by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 3 to describe the day of the Lord. It's the image of a woman in labor. Before the delivery of a new age, intense and intensified pain will visit the world, just as is with the case with a woman delivering a child. Look at verse 8, when Jesus has been talking about spiritual deception, natural disaster, international conflict. These are words not to the church or to the Gentile, to the world. These are words to the Jew and to Israel. And they're going to see in the last days during Jacob's trouble, the time of great tribulation, they're going to see all kinds of wars, famines, earthquakes, spiritual deception. And they're simply going to be the beginning of birth pangs. They intensify, they get quicker, and they repeat. And Jesus is using that image that just prior to getting towards the end... You're going to see birth pangs, and they're going to be intense, and they're going to intensify. And these signs will act like runway lights, lighting up the future, announcing the arrival of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In fact, Jesus has his own metaphor. My metaphor is runway lights. His metaphor is conveyed in a parable, verse 28, Look at the parable of the fig tree when its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know the summer is near, so you also, the you is Israel. It's a collective you. Jesus addressed the nation in Matthew 23, and he addresses the disciples' questions in Matthew 24, and he's addressing the Jewish people, the nation, the temple, Judea, the Sabbath, the people of God under the old covenant. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it's near at the doors. It can't be A.D. 70, right? We're 2,000 years on from then, almost. Now, this is another generation. The generation Jesus was among wouldn't see him again until he appears again. But there's going to be a generation that will not only witness his return, they're going to witness stuff announcing his return. And just like you see leaves blossoming and flowering in the spring. It tells you summer's near. When you see these things happening, you know that Jesus is knocking on the door and his return is momentary. Now, we're not going to break down these signs into categories. You could. I think verses 5 through 13 is what we might call the early signs, and that would be the first half of the tribulation probably what you have described in the verses 5 through 13 is what is described in Revelation 6 and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Following the early signs, which are but the beginning of sorrows, you have the essential signs, verses 14 through 13. And the big one there is the abomination of desolation were according to Daniel 9 verse 27 and Second Thessalonians 2 verse 4, the Antichrist will rise up in a rebuilt temple and declare himself to be God. He will break covenant with Israel. And he'll bring an end to the sacrifices in the temple. And we'll go into a very dark period that Jesus says is unparalleled in history called the tribulation. Better, the great tribulation. And then that will bring about the end signs of verses 24 through 27, where there'll be cosmic chaos. There'll be evidences in the heavens that Jesus is coming. And when you see that, the Son of Man will appear with great glory and power. I'm not going to drill down into these. That's not the point of my sermon, because I'm going to make a point that will show you why that is my point. But let me run down what Jesus talks about here in terms of early, essential, and end signs. Verses 6 through 21, uh, verse 21 to 23, Jesus says before he comes back in the tribulation time, the, the last terminal generation, we'll see an increase in false Christs and spiritual deception. There's going to be wars and international conflict centered on Israel. Again, this is Jewish in flavor and focus. He addresses the temple. He addresses the geographical area of Judea. He addresses the Jewish people in the Sabbath. And I think these wars are wars that are going to be centered in that part of the world. On the heels of these wars, you're going to have famines, which you often do. Famines brought about by wars, according to verse 8. Then you're going to have earthquakes and natural disasters. These are intense. But as time goes by, things are going to intensify like a woman delivering. You're going to have persecution. Verse 9 and verses 11 through 13. You're also going to have a global proclamation of the gospel according to verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Again, there's a telltale sign that this couldn't be about A.D. 70. These verses can't be fulfilled in A.D. 70 where the church had just begun its commission to go out into all the world. And then you've got the daddy of them all, verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. According to Daniel 9, 27, the Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel. He's a peace broker in the Middle East for a time. He's a turncoat. He's treacherous. He breaks covenant with Israel and he brings an end to the sacrifices of the temple and he is worshiped by the world who take his mark. Jesus is addressing this. Following that, you've got great tribulation of verses 14 through 20. That's the second half of the seven-year tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week. If some of this isn't making sense, then you've got studying to do, and that's fine. But Jesus said there's going to come a period, according to verses 14 through 20, where there's going to be so much horror and terror in the world that it's unparalleled. Look at verse 19. For in those days there will be tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. There's been a lot of horrible things have happened in history. But Jesus is saying the worst is yet to come. And if it wasn't for God stopping it, the elect would hardly be saved. God's going to shorten those days. Jesus is going to come. And it all ends with the curtain coming down and Jesus returning, evidenced by cosmic chaos in the second coming. And Jesus will come in clouds, great power, glory, send his angels, gather the elect from the four winds, the furthest parts of the earth. So that's how it's all going to unfold according to Jesus. Now, hang with me for a few minutes as we kind of taper towards the end. Here's what's important for you and I to grasp. If this is focused on Israel, if this is about the tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, and the return of the Christ, it's Jacob's trouble. This is a time when God will purge Israel. This is what we read about in Ezekiel. This is what we read about in Zechariah. This is what we read about in the book of Revelation. You and I need to remind ourselves that we are not destined to be part of this. The second coming of Jesus happens in two phases. There's the rapture, and there's the Revelation. Read Revelation 4 through 19 when I believe the teaching of Jesus here in the Olivet Discourse unfolds. We have got the first half of the tribulation then the second half of the tribulation. You've got the Antichrist. You've got the beast. You've got the false prophet. You've got all kinds of apocalyptic and cataclysmic things going on. Where's the church? Anywhere on earth? You'll not find the church anywhere in Revelation 4 to 19 because the church is in heaven. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb taking place in heaven while all this stuff's taking place on earth. So at the rapture, at the beginning of this tribulation period, the church is taken from earth to heaven. Christ comes for his church. Then you get to Revelation 19, and you read about Jesus returning with his church, where we're going to reign with him. And more could be said. Remember, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. Paul says, we are not appointed under wrath. We're not going to be part of the day of the Lord. Jesus is coming for us. Revelation 3 verse 10 tells us that Jesus promised the church at Philadelphia. He was going to literally in the Greek, keep them from out of the hour of testing that's coming upon the whole world, which I believe is a reference to the tribulation. So here's a point I want you to get. This is very important. I believe What we're reading in Mark 13, what we're reading in Matthew 24, what we're reading in Luke 21, fundamentally will be fulfilled during the tribulation. And we're not destined or appointed to that time of wrath. That's Jacob's trouble, according to Jeremiah 30, verse 7. This is when God will purge Israel, bring Israel to a point of repentance, and then the Messiah will return and all Zion will be saved, according to Romans 11. So, be careful about using language or asking a pastor, is this a fulfillment of prophecy? Probably not. Now, in saying that, one would have to admit, we might see some of the foreshadowing. We might see what prophetic scholars call stage setting. Okay? I mean, the main event is what Jesus is describing. But if you've gone to a concert or you worked in theater, if you could get one of those, you know, time-lapsed cameras, you'll know that before the event, the curtain comes up or the curtain comes down, the stage is set. Out on the wings, the actors are learning their lines or the musicians are going over their music. At least in the church age, we might see some of the scaffolding going up. We might see some of the stage being set for the players to come. But the curtain won't lift until we're gone. But we might get an inkling that this thing's about to start pretty soon because the stage is being set. And that would remind us that since the rapture is without sign, nothing has to happen for it to happen. The best we can hope for is maybe to see some foreshadowing of these signs, but we won't see any fulfillment. That will be the terminal generation that will live through the great tribulation. They'll see it all. They'll see the rise of the Antichrist, and they'll see the return of the Christ. So here's what I'd say to you as a church. Make sure you're Savior-watching, not sign-watching. Savior watching, not sign watching. Titus 2 verse 13, we are looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Jude verse 21, we're looking for the mercy of God. We might see some of the stage setting politically, spiritually, internationally. Again, hear me. I want to avoid the extremes. But let me throw this out just for you to think about and pray over and square with what Jesus is talking about here. It could be a generation away. It could be two generations away. But I would make an argument to you. Our world is certainly at a stage setting point. As I look out in the world, you see Israel in the land. I mean, Israel has to be in the land, doesn't it? The temple will have to be rebuilt someday. Jesus is going to come to Jerusalem Jesus is addressing people who live in Judea and who keep the Sabbath and who worship at a temple that will be desecrated. It's a modern miracle. We have lived to see after centuries the return of the Jewish people. The Jebusites and the Hittites are no more, but the Jewish people are alive after persecution and programs and the hatred of a world and the ire of Satan himself. Why? Because God made a promise to them to love them The sun would have to fall out of the sky, says Jeremiah, before God would give up on Israel. The church hasn't replaced Israel. Israel's back in the land, very significant. I'll say nothing more than that, because we shouldn't be able to say anything more than that. Israel's in the land. We're watching fights over the Temple Mount. We see the rise of Islam, which is Israel's natural enemy. We see Iran to Israel's north in Syria. We had a Russia involved for a while. They looked like they're backing out but they're leaving a naval base in that area and an air force base. You say, is that significant? Yeah, read about a war that's going to take place between Israel and Magog and Gog in Ezekiel 38. And two of the nations that are spoken of there are Iran and Russia. You're saying, is this a fulfillment of prophecy? I have no idea. I won't be there to see the full fulfillment, but there's certainly some stage setting going on. In fact, I was talking to Mark Hitchcock yesterday on the phone here. I needed some help. You know, uh, who wants to be a millionaire? Phone a friend. I called a friend. <laughs> I he says, Mark, help me here with the, the Olivet Discourse. It's driving me crazy. We talked about this. And he said, you know what, Philip? He says, I was reading an article. Israeli analysts, military people, and politicians are saying they'd rather be dealing with ISIS in Syria than Iran. Because as vicious as ISIS is, it's a rag group of jihadist, fundamentalist, apocalyptic fighters. Iran, it's a nation with an army and with aspirations to be nuclear and have put on record what they're going to do with the nuclear bomb and our own stupid government playing into the hands of an Islamic apocalyptic government. Global markets, apostasy in the church, anti-Semitism throughout the world and failed Middle East policies that are creating an atmosphere where somebody's going to have to sort the Middle East out and sort it out soon. The Bible says there's a man going to appear who's going to make a covenant with Israel, a peace treaty. There's going to be a resemblance of peace until he unmasks himself. He'll declare himself to be God in a rebuilt temple, and mayhem will ensue. I want to be balanced, but folks, surely we're seeing some of the stage setting, or at least what we can conclude is we're seeing things in our day— that approximate to biblical prophecy in a way that no other generation has. My last point is simply this. The purpose Jesus emphasizes, we said at the beginning, 19 imperatives, call to action, and four of them focus on watchfulness. You go to verse 5, verse 9, verse 23, verse 33, Jesus will say, Watch out, take heed, be alert. He's calling that end-time generation to be alert. When these things begin to unfold, they need to read this kind of passage in God's Word and see that indeed God is sovereign and it's all going to plan. And the study of prophecy in their lives ought to fit them for life and for the afterlife. Prophecy isn't being given to be a sedative, it's been given to be a stimulant to holy living, evangelism, purposeful use of time, generosity and giving. Submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what's important. In fact, I like what David Jeremiah says in his book on the Olivet Discourse. You may know how many toes there are on the beast in Daniel's vision. You may have memorized intricate charts on the book of Revelation. You may have 27 theories on how to calculate the number of the Antichrist. But to know all that and not have the message come home to your heart is to be subtly sent down a cul-de-sac. And Jesus would remind us with 19 imperatives that prophecy should result in living dedicated to God, living where we redeem the time. And if that's true of the end time generation that will see the signs unfold, they're going to see prophecy fulfilled. And Jesus is at the door. And Jesus goes on in verses 32 to 37 to tell him a story about an owner who goes away. He leaves his servants with things to do and he says to the watchman, you need to stay alert because you mustn't let the enemy in while I'm away. You better open the door when I come back. You better not be asleep. You better not be falling down on the job. Alertness. And if that's appropriate and true for that final generation who will have signs to awaken them, How much more true of the church age, where there are no signs? We live under the imminent expectation that Jesus could return at any moment. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10, Paul says of the church there that they turned from idols. They started serving the living God. And it says, and they waited for his son from heaven. Very interesting Greek word, wait. It's a compound word again, two words. It actually means to wait up, to sit up, to remain up. The church was waiting up on the tiptoes of expectancy. I mean, as I close, the best illustration I can give is, even though I was a 21-year-old young man who could take care of myself, I was still living at home. I was in the RUC, which was a dangerous job. On many a night... I could be coming home at 11 or midnight as I parked my car and came down the hill to our house. I often saw the curtains open a little bit. It was my mother. Dad was fast asleep. (laughs) He's okay. He'll take care of himself. But mothers are mothers. Whether you're 2, 12, or 22. And she would wait up till I got home. She wanted to know that her son was safely tucked in bed. And the bad guy's didn't get him. She waited up. Are you waiting up? You ever peer through the curtain on a given day? Maybe this morning, maybe this afternoon, maybe tonight, Jesus will come. I need to stay alert. I need to stay alive. There's people in my family still not saved. I got to reach them for Christ. You know, I've said I'm going to do that for the Lord and have not get around to doing it. I better get doing it. I need to not miss church this Sunday because the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together such as the manner of some is because that day is approaching. May that be true of us. May we be alert and alive to the possibility of Jesus coming to take the church home to heaven. And then what Jesus teaches here will unfold in the world. You'll have the rise of the Antichrist, but you will have the return of the Christ. We'll return with them. In the end, we win. In the end, it will be worth it all. So don't lose your focus. Don't lose your nerve. Keep a prophetic perspective on all that's going on in the world around you. Make it push you to look for the world above you. Lord, we thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for the hunger of this congregation to hear your word. May we indeed live on the tippy toes of expectancy, waiting for Jesus to come and come soon. For we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Jesus will come again to right a world gone wrong. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. And you can visit our website to listen to more sermons from our current series titled Maximum Security. Just go to ktt.org. We're grateful we can bring Know the Truth to you every day on the radio, the web, and even on our KTT app and podcast. And every time you tune in, you're benefiting from the support of generous listeners who value the ministry of Know the Truth. Perhaps today you'll join our growing family of supporters by becoming a Truth Ambassador. Truth Ambassadors make regular monthly donations, helping us to create, produce, and distribute these quality Bible teaching programs. Become a Truth Ambassador today when you call 888-644-8811. Or sign up when you visit our website, ktt.org. And this month, we're thanking all our supporters with a special just-off-the-press book from Philip DeCourcy. Based on our current series, Maximum Security, Philip's new book is called Take Cover, and we want to send it to you today. The book includes his recollections of life as a police officer in Northern Ireland And it offers a biblical guide for finding peace and security in God's protection. Ask for your copy of Take Cover when calling in a generous donation to 888-644-8811. Or request the book when you donate online at ktt.org. And this month, you'll want to call in to get another new resource available to all our newest Know the Truth listeners. It's the free Take Cover bookmark that lists some of the key principles Philip shares in his new book. Keep it handy to take cover in moments of crisis. Ask for the free bookmark when you call 888-644-8811. That's all the time we have today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again next time when Philip DeCorsi continues his series titled Maximum Security. We'll be learning about our real enemy Monday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free Fewer people are